You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Today, I'm going to preach from Joshua chapter 1. This is not part of any series, but... Um, every so often we have these open weeks where I get to just preach anything and, and kind of meditating on something that I think God is teaching me that I also want to convey to you guys. So I'm going to be reading from Joshua chapter 1, and we'll just jump right into it. Joshua chapter 1, starting verse 1. And it reads, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm going to give to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From this wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Heavenly Father, guide us in this word. Lord, wherever we are in our life right now, whether it's a time of joy or whether it's a time of struggle, Whether we feel confident or we're trembling with fear, Lord, we believe you have something to speak to us. So give us open, receptive hearts here. Soften our hearts, Lord. Some of us, the biggest challenge of receiving the word is the soil is hard. We're bitter. We're angry. We're frustrated. Lord, would you, in your mercy, soften the soil of our heart that we could receive whatever you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, move in this room, all for your glory. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, even if you've never read this portion of the Bible, uh, you might know some of the circumstances leading up to it. Um, if you're a fan of the movies and, and having little ones, I'm seeing more, more of these different movies I hadn't seen for a long time, but like Ten Commandments, um, Prince of Egypt, I think actually a little more biblically accurate, even though it's a cartoon, talking about the story of Moses going back to where he was raised to deliver the people, to deliver the Israel out of this land of Egypt, and to go into this journey. So that's what we have here. The people of Israel, if, if go, fast, go fast forward 40 years, they've just spent the last 40 years of their history wandering through these deserts. And if you ever get a chance, if you are a Bible nerd, check it out, how much ter- territory they actually walked. It wasn't 40 years because it was so far. They actually kept going around and camp for a while. Some of you camping folks, you would have loved it. Camp in the desert though, right? But they're hanging out there and then God would have them move again. Um, if, if you look at the history, some of this was, well, it was because of their disobedience. Different areas of disobedience, God said, you're going to stay in the desert for 40 years. So the people that are being addressed now, uh, except for a few notable exceptions, almost all of them have passed away during this time in the desert. 
but now you've got this new crew. They're still the people of Israel ready to go into this land. Uh, and we want to also make clear, I, I think for some of you who are socially conscious, you might be looking at this, man, this sounds like colonialism. This sounds like paternalistic people coming and invading, like occupying. This is bad stuff. Um, it, it's complex, but we've, we've got to be mindful. This is not a people looking at a nice piece of land. Oh, that looks good. We're going to go make that our own. God, give us strength. It's not that. It's land that's actually been promised to them. This is, this is land that's been promised as an inheritance from days passing. The, the people of God, this is your land. And again, that's complex. More than this sermon has time to get into. But every city has its own people. And the people, I mean, they're not just sitting there waiting. Oh, yeah, God told us we're supposed to give you this. So, um, there's going to require warfare and military action. So Joshua is going to be leading Israel in military action, and he will be this commander of a relatively small tribe of people. So these verses, um, they're intended to be read almost like a commissioning address. Some of you, you're doing commencement probably in the next week or so. It's like that. It's like Joshua's graduating, and he's getting his address to be sent out into the world, and this is how you're going to lead the people. Um, And he's been mentoring. Some of you have had mentoring positions. You've hated it. You've like, I, I've hated having to sit under someone. I didn't even get paid, right? Like a pen. Joshua mentored for 40 years. He's been watching Moses. He's been following probably one of the greatest leaders that is described in the Bible. And now it's his turn to lead. And you may have noticed God, he repeats a certain phrase to Joshua here a few times. And the Bible, and we, we say this often, right? If you hear anything repeated, it's good to pay attention to what's going on here. Be strong and courageous. This phrase, be strong and courageous. God repeats this to Joshua three times in these verses. And, you know, I'm not that bright, but it seems kind of logical that the reason God is saying be strong and courageous is that Joshua is probably not feeling that strong and courageous. I went to seminary for that, right? Um, God is saying over and over, be strong and courageous. Why? Because our man Josh is probably not feeling that strong. He's probably trembling a little bit. Consider his circumstances. Moses had just died. Moses had died. And again, we might see him dramatized in different movies, but it's good to know who Moses is. This is a great description we find in Deuteronomy chapter 34, uh, starting verse 10 of who Moses is. This is like a eulogy almost, right? And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Wow. That's a way to be described in the Bible, right? Moses was a spiritual beast and not a beast in a bad 666 kind of beast way, but like a holy beast. He, he, I mean, he, he lived out signs of wonders. God knew him intimately face to face. Not many people had that described of them. Um, back, I, I mean, someday I'll talk about all the different weird jobs I've had. I've had a lot of strange jobs, but I was always hustling, right? So in my senior year of high school, I worked at Taco Bell for like two months. I loved it, especially break time, because you can make any creations. I, I made some amazing stuff there, because you get to do whatever you want. But I, I remember when I first started... Um, I got hired, and I'm in high school. I don't know that much. I'm, I'm, I got hired, and apparently the person that I replaced was, like, the greatest Taco Bell worker ever. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, I came there 
filler. I'm all ready. I got my Taco Bell Oprah. And they're like, yeah, we'll call him Bob. Bob was the most amazing Taco Bell worker we've ever had. We could have lines out the door. And when he would get to work, that line would be down in like five minutes. He was amazing. He was the most incredible. This guy was made to work here. He was so good. Man, I can't believe he left. Welcome to Taco Bell. And you just feel like a jerk, right? You're like, well, what am I supposed to do when I'm trying to replace Bob? Bob's amazing. Bob can make a chalupa and a burrito and a taco with one hand with the other tied behind his back. I mean, he had fire sauce. I mean, it's amazing what this guy can. I, I'm no Bob. I can't do that. You never want to follow the best. I mean, Moses was the best. I mean, the Hollywood made movies about him. Moses was the best. He's a tough act to follow. And and I would guess, again, we don't know Joshua's exact mindset. Probably that had something to do with him not feeling that strong or courageous, right? How many of us feel confident if you get a new job and the person you're replacing, like everyone's crying as they leave? You actually, uh, this is so sinful to say, if you know you're coming in, you want people to kind of be happy that the other person's leaving, right? Oh man, I can't, I'm so glad they're finally leaving because you look great. But when they're the best, what are you supposed to do with that? So we see what God tells them to do in response. I mean, it's right here, right? Come on, snowflake. Stop your whining. Pull yourself together. Uh, You don't got that in yours? (laughs) I mean, of course not, right? God does tell Joshua, yo, be strong and courageous. but, But he's not to get this strength um, deep from within himself. This is not something, I mean, we're taught in our world, right? Um, find it within yourself. Rather, he's to get this strength by, by, from remembering that God is with him. Verse five, if we can look for verse five, I love this. It reads, as I was with Moses. As I was with Moses. One of the key passages of this, uh, verses in this passage. Imagine um, and I just saw it at one of the Harry Potters with my kid last night, so it's fresh in my mind, but that, that memory thing, that pensive thing, like you drop it and you get to see all the memories, right? I, I'm imagining it's like that, though you didn't have all, the, all that technology. But not that that's real. No, no, I know that's not real. But imagine what kind of memories are stirring within Joshua's mind from the past 40 years when he hears from God, as I was with Moses. I'm imagining he's picturing like what we see in Exodus, um, this description of a pillar of cloud by day. And, and it's a pillar of fire by night. Basically, God told the people who are scared he would be with them. You know how you're going to know I'm with you? Because you're going to see this giant big pillar of cloud that's with you to guide you in their day. And at night, it's going to protect you. It's going to be there. You are always going to know, even if you can't see me because I'm God, you're going to know I'm with you. You're out in the desert. It's scary. You are not alone. You're going to be protected from danger. You're going to be given light that guides your path. I imagine Joshua's memories have come across uh, this story that happened a little bit later in Exodus 14, this crossing of the Red Sea, where Moses had delivered the people, and a whole, the whole tribe of Israel is going. They're leaving Egypt. They're pride and exultation, celebrating. Yes, we've been freed. And then they look back, and they see Pharaoh and his men still coming. They're like, oh, this has not turned out good. Moses, you said we're going to be free. They're hunting us down here. 
I love how they, how they whined to Moses. It says, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? These guys are expert haters, right? <laughs> what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And just complaining. A lot of leadership uh, lessons here. He should say, yeah, I'll go back then. <laughs> but instead, what does God do? God says, hold, out your, hold us. He divides this water so that the people might cross through. Remembering the power of God that delivers his people miraculously. I imagine Joshua was thinking when he heard, as I was with Moses, um, a, a little bit after that. These people complained a lot, right? I know we have nothing in common with them at all, but they, they complained a lot about life because they're hungry. They're hungry. And in Exodus 16, it describes that after the second month and half through, halfway through the second month on the 15th day, um, they were hungry. They're walking through the desert. They got no food. And, and again, they're, they're great at complaining. They say, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. <laughs> they say, yo, why are you doing this to us? We, yeah, we were slaves, but we were eating good. It was like Golden Corral every day, man. Yeah, we were slaves, but we were eating at the table. I mean, if you've ever ran a meeting or done a conference, or, there's not much that kills the mood of a room than when people are hungry. <laughs> and when you run out of food, that's like the nightmare for an event planner, right? You run out of food. <laughs> so the people are complaining, and, and then you just see this amazing response from God. He gives them quail during the evening, and in the morning, he, he gives this amazing thing that they find underground the as the dew dissipates, this thing called that they end, end up calling manna, manna. This wafer-like, honey-like um, thing. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. It's not like a graham cracker, right? right? Just this amazing thing from God. They even ask, what is it, right? They, they didn't know what, what it was. This mysterious provision of God, God saying to this ever-complaining people, yo, you're not going to go hungry, okay? If I brought you here, I'm going to take care of you. Eat. And I'm sure Joshua was thinking of God's provision in the midst of that. Maybe when he said, as I was with Moses, he was imagining, just people always complaining, right? They got thirsty now. Can you imagine? I guess they had too much manna. So they got thirsty. Too much good quail. So their throats are parched. And again, in Exodus 17, they say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cries to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking your hand a staff with which you have struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. There's no water. It's a desert. You don't find water in a desert. The people are thirsty. They're little ones. They're livestock. It's all about to die. It's real concerns. I'm not trying to minimize what they're going through. It's real stuff. They're thirsty. And they're looking at the one person who they got to blame. Yo, it's you, Mo. You brought us into this. Yeah, we were slaves, but we had a lot to eat and a lot to drink, and we were comfortable. 
aside from having to build like all of the stuff. Right? But you know, they don't remember all that stuff. They just remember what they what they had. And God, he says, take that same staff that people saw the miraculous splitting of the water. Make sure they know this is me. Go strike that rock and water's gonna come out. As I was with Moses. How did God work with Moses? Joshua, his memories are churning here. That in times of fear and doubt, he's to remember the faithfulness of this God who he has witnessed firsthand for 40 years. And and he's to know that it's the same God who will now go with him and with the people. Because the temptation is, and I'm sure um, Joshua was feeling it, that he's thinking, yeah, you know what? Moses did some amazing things because it's because he's Moses. They're going to make movies about him. You know, of course God was with him. Of course the Lord saw him face to face. Of course he let him be involved with signs and wonders because it's Moses. And God is saying very clearly, it's not about Moses. It's about me. I'm going with you. It wasn't Moses. It was all me. And now it's the same God going with you. You don't get version 2.0, like watered down God. You get the full power of God that will still go with you. So all those things you saw me do, yeah, it might look different, but it's the same power that's going to go with you now. And there's just a lot of, I think, a lot of lessons about fear. And maybe as I've been thinking about this, one way we can look at the journey of life is it's almost like a perpetual series of different fears that we have to encounter. And I think raising children, it's brought this into a whole new light, right? Like sometimes parenting is just like a daily affirmation of trying to tell the kids, um, you can conquer this fear. Like, I mean, so it starts from little when like there's like a little bear that says weird stuff, like a stuffed bear. Like you're trying to do, it's okay, it's just a stuffed animal, it's not a real bear, right? Or like you got certain foods on their plate. And they're like, oh, they're so scared of it because it doesn't look like what a human being should be eating. And you try to teach them, it's okay, you don't have to be scared. And it progresses. You know, you take them to school and the fears start to become going into a new place without mommy or daddy and trying to help them to conquer that. And, and as they get older, you know, it's um, trying to help with fears of classmates not liking them or thinking they're weird. And how do you help them to get through these things? And, and then we do that our whole life, right? Our whole life is kind of like going through all these different sets of fears, We all have different ways to respond to fear. And, and, you know, these accompanying crises of faith that come with our fear. And I think one way that many of us respond is we just need to learn to find that strength within. We got to learn that we need to be strong. We got to find our strength within. But I, I think what's striking here is what God teaches um, is that strength is actually not supposed to be found from within but from outside of us. I know that's really countercultural. That's really anti-Under Armour and, and Nike. I know I, I would not be in the marketing team of any of these apparel places. Like, you can find a strength. This is actually, no, 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 no. Don't look from within. Look outside of yourself. Look outside into the word of God. Find the word of God that gives you strength. And it's interesting what God teaches Joshua in accordance with what it means to know God in, in verse 7. He says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, 
that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. More than might, more than power, more than strength, God is emphasizing Joshua's need for the word of the Lord. Though Joshua, he's going to learn how to fight. He's going to have to use every ounce of his military training and his skills as he leads the people. God is teaching clearly that his ultimate success will not come from how well he fights. But it's by living in the ways that God has described in his word. And for us, the primary means that God has given us to become intimately connected with him is through his word. And, and, you know, we talked about this a lot recently, but the Bible, uh, we've, we've been emphasizing the Bible is not this storybook of characters that you and I are called to emulate. I know that goes against a lot of classic children's Sunday school training where these are like our heroes. Don't do Transformers. See what the Bible says. And, you know, we put up these Bible characters instead. Um, and there's some good stuff to learn from these different characters, I'm sure. But the Bible, it's, it's really confounding. It's actually a narrative of some of the biggest losers you can imagine. It is. It's like the anti-hero story. Some of you love anti-hero. You watch a lot of HBO, right? Bible, ultimate anti-hero story. You got like um, people who do assault. You got misogynists. You got violent people. You got shady people. You got people who lie. You got people who steal. You got people who doing weird stuff with family members. You got a lot of weird people who are considered the protagonists of this story called the Bible. But the thing is, throughout the scriptures, the one common thing we have is as jacked up as the people might be, there is this one common ideology just going through the same thing. That there is a hero. It's not all of the people that you and I think are the hero. There is a hero. He's faithful. He's strong. Um, He does not waver. And this hero, his name is God. The hero is God, and he is calling us continually throughout the narrative of the scriptures to an unfaithful people, to the people that were described really well earlier, that all they do is complain. What he's doing them continually is calling them to trust him. He's saying, I am trustworthy. Put your trust in me. I know you have all of these temptations to keep pulling you away. He shows grace and kindness and mercy and keeps drawing back. He says, keep trusting me. Keep trusting me. And he doesn't give up. And I think as we go through the scriptures, this might sound really strange to some of you. As, uh, this might sound really weird. But I think part of the act of meditating on the scriptures um, is, that, is, is learning more and more. It might not actually make rational sense to trust in God. I, and I know that goes counterintuitive to kind of how we think the Bible should work. We think that as we study the Bible more, it should actually become more sense. If you live like this, then things will happen good. And I think there's part of that, but I think a significant part of learning to grow in the scriptures is as you read it more and more, getting to a breaking point where you realize, I actually don't have control. I actually don't know what's going to happen every day. I actually don't know how everything's. Things are actually really broken. Things are actually really twisted. Wow, I've got no hope here other than to trust in a God who does know, and a God who is strong, and a God who is powerful, and a God who's not taken surprised by the things that surprise me. I better put my trust in him even if it doesn't really make sense to me. And, you know, we often talk about freedom, right? We talk about the freedom that Jesus brings. I'm a big fan of that. 
Um, but I think usually we talk about freedom in the area of like our addictions, maybe. Like God can bring us freedom from that narcotics addiction. Or man, from that lust addiction you have, God can bring you freedom. Or wow, you've had that like lingering deep-seated hate and resentment for that person for such a long time. God can free you from that. And amen, I believe God can free from all of those things that we, in our minds, we can see. That's real. But I think we also have to know that God wants to um, free us from trusting in ourselves. It doesn't sound as sexy, right? It sounds much more sexy. God can free us from our addictions. But I think God, in his kindness, he also wants to free us from the way we've always lived, which is trusting in ourselves, Believing that we can do it. Believing that if we just work hard enough, we can make things happen. That if we're just obedient enough, things will happen in the way they should. That if we just work hard enough, God will be, everything will turn around. I think he's trying to free us from trusting in ourselves fully. And I know it's the case for me, so I'm going to guess it's the case for some of you. I think the greatest barrier for a lot of our relationships with God is simply we just have too much faith in ourselves. I think the greatest barrier for some of us in really growing closer to God is we just really trust in ourselves way too much. And correspondingly, don't trust in God as much as we probably should. And maybe you can ask yourself a diagnostic question. How much of your life right now could realistically be done if you took God out of it. Like, just look at your life right now. How much of your life right now, if you just pulled God out of the equation, could you still do pretty... There wouldn't really be any hiccup in your life. And this is not meant to, like, put a big spotlight on you, you horrible sinner. Just to be honest. Because if I look at my life, if, if I, again, I don't know if a pastor's allowed to do this, Man, there's a lot of stuff in my life I could probably just chug along. And then if you ask me, is God there? I'm like, oh, I, I, I hope. But I don't really like depend on him as I should. But God is trying to free us from trusting in ourselves, not so he can make our life worse, but so that we can actually live life the way it was intended to. And some of you have seen pictures of this, but I used to ride a motorcycle. And maybe one day after my kids are grown, maybe I'll get another one. But um, too many potholes in Baltimore. But that I don't know about. Um, but one of the things, when I was learning to ride a motorcycle, um, it's, it's, you know, I, I'm not good with balance, right? And that's kind of become a joke in our family. Like, my wife is going to be one to teach his kids how to ski and roller skate and all that. And I'm going to teach them how to cut the grass or something, right? Because I'm not good with balance. So that's a little hard when you're supposed to be on this instrument with only two wheels. And you're supposed to balance, right? It's not good. And... and the one thing that stuck out, and this is many years ago when I was learning to ride, they were saying, when you make a turn, you actually don't turn your handlebars, which to me, that sounds intuitive. If you're going to turn left, you turn your handlebars left. They're saying, you actually got to lean into the turn. Like, you don't move your handlebars, you lean into a turn. I'm like, say what? <laughs> I mean, I'm not good at, like, science and physics and chemistry or whatever science that is. I'm just not good at it, but that doesn't seem to make sense. That if, if you lean over, you, you're going to fall over. That, that's a no, no. That's why you need to actually go faster. The faster you go, the more you need to lean. I'm like, okay, now you're talking silly talk. This doesn't make any sense at all. What the heck are you saying? But it's this idea, and they would continually say this as they were teaching us, you got to learn to trust the lean. you got to trust the lean. Because I'll tell you, when I was going very much on the speed limit on 95, or maybe a little bit more, but you're going down 95, 
if you're going a turn, if you don't push into that lean, there's no way you're going to make the turn. You've got to learn to trust that lean. And it's hard when your body's like this far away from asphalt. And, and you're like this. And when you're my size, that's not a comfortable place to be in. And all you can do is trust that these forces of science and, these, and that instructor, I hope he was certified, but he said, you got to trust the lean. So I'm going to trust that lean even though my body doesn't want to. And it works. Because if you try to fight against it, you're not going to make it. And it goes against every sense of what's real and right in the world because you feel like a dope. You're like, this cannot possibly work. But you've got to learn to trust the lean. And I think similarly, that, I mean, it's a silly little illustration, but I, I think that's what like faith is. That we can talk about faith till we're blue in the face and talk about it intellectually about faith and what it means to believe, but until we actually trust in God with aspects of our life, we're not going to really experience what faith looks like. Things... I mean, think about the hardest thing you have to trust in your life to God right now. You've got to learn to trust in God in that. Otherwise, you're probably not going to see the effects of faith in those things. And, and this is where it's really hard from a preacher's perspective because I can tell you all, I, until, again, until I'm like, have no more um, words to say, you've got to trust God. It's all about faith. You're not going to get it until you actually do it. It's just one of those things. So, I mean, that's a tough place for you to be in, right? You're like, well, that stinks. I just want my information that's going to give me faith. This has got to be lived out and acted out. I want to be really clear. Um, God doesn't want you to be weak because somehow weakness is some, like, greater attribute. I think sometimes as Christians, we get this weird idea. Being weak is good because weak. No, actually, God wants us to be strong. He calls Joshua here to be strong. But he wants us to learn if you want true strength, it's always found in weakness. So God's not anti-strength. God actually wants us to be as strong as we can be, but it's learning. you got to be freed from the way you've always thought strength comes, where you've thought it's power, you've thought it's manipulation, you've thought it's force, you've thought it's intellect. All these things, and they're not bad necessarily, but that's actually not going to bring you strength because the way of God is very countercultural, and that in, in your weakness is where strength will truly be found. That's faith. It's believing the unseen because of a sure hope that we have. That when things don't make sense, that's why we fix our gaze on this thing called the cross. That's why we're told to fix our eyes upon Jesus because ultimately that was probably the greatest exhibit of faith that doesn't make sense. What? You're the king, but you're going to die on a cross? You're going to have everyone mock you even though you got the power to wipe them all out in a second? Why don't you just skip three days and do it that way? That, I mean, let's, let's be good use of time here, right? Why take the three days in the grave? But we see that power was known in weakness, ultimately in death, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's why we fix our eyes in Christ, because it gives us faith. Not just as an example, but when we say we have Christ in us, this is the faith that we start to learn. That it's not by us being stronger that we have strength. It's actually in our weakness when Christ is strong. That when Christ is in us, he is actually glorified in doing things that we could never do in our own power. And, and as we actively put our trust in him, I mean, if we trust in the lean, if you want to use that kind of imagery, that's when that mysterious work starts to happen, when where we once had fear, God starts to replace it with faith. And I feel real. I wish there were like a pill I could give you that could make this happen, like a matrix kind of pill. It doesn't. I mean, this is trusting in God. 
take steps into things that bring you the greatest fear, maybe that's where God is trying to teach you the greatest faith. Not by you just being stronger, which everyone else has always told you to do, but actually submitting yourself to God. Saying, God, I I don't know what to do with this. Read and meditate on the word of God. Your God is the same one that you read about in this book. That's why we talk about the Bible. Your God is the same one that you read in all these stories. The people in the Bible, I know maybe you got Bible action figures at home. Some of you real like holy moly types from good Christian families, you got like Bible action figures. They're not heroes. They're no better than you and they're no worse than you. I mean, they obeyed God and God did some amazing things, but in who they are, they're no better than you or I. They're human beings. God is the one who's been at work. The God of miracles, the God of power that we saw in these folks is the same God who's at work today, now, in your life, in your marriage that's struggling in your children's that sometimes you can't sleep because you're worried what's going to happen to them. And for some of you, not knowing what's going to happen with work and in the future. Some of you, in ways that you feel your bodies don't work the way they should. Some of you, the way your minds don't operate the way you wish they could. Some of you, in this struggle with, with maybe some of these more active things of uh, temptation and struggle. Where is God calling you to trust in him? to know that the same God who's worked throughout the biblical history is the same God who's here right now. And and as you go from here in this message, I I really hope the goal should not be, man, I'm going to be stronger after today. I'm going to be like Joshua. I'm going to be really moral. I'm going to be really courageous. That's not the point of this. The point here is to know more intimately the God who was with Joshua. Amen? Amen? The goal is not to be more like Joshua. The goal is, I need to know the God who could give this guy strength and courage. Because in times of fear, in times of doubt, the goal is not to just be stronger-willed, but you need to know the God who promises that you will not walk alone. For some of you, I think that's the biggest struggle you've been having recently. You feel you're walking alone in the things you have to carry. That's never been the biblical story. God promises he goes with you. God promises he goes with you. I'm going to keep repeating it because I mean it. God promises he goes with you. And some of you would not believe that. God promises he goes with you. So let me ask you to stand. And let me um, give just one more thought here. Close your eyes for a moment with me. Um, And let me ask you to think on this. We often think about our fears as something to kind of get through, and I think that's real. We don't want to live in fear. Um, But can I put this out to you, that your fear is not just something for you to conquer, but perhaps you could view your fear as an opportunity to grow in the experiential and intimate knowledge of God. That the things right now that bring you the greatest fear in your life, maybe they have to do with you, maybe they don't have anything to do with you, but they're about our nation. They're about issues of reconciliation. Maybe it's about black lives. Maybe it's about immigration. Maybe it's about our world. Maybe it's about our president right now. Maybe it's about these, maybe it has nothing to do with you or maybe it has everything to do with you. But whatever you have the greatest fear about right now, could I suggest it's not just something for us to try to medicate. It's not just something for us to try to get by. It's not something for us to try to distract ourselves with. 
but rather it might, even in God's power, be a means by which he will reveal his power to you. So in that thought, as you have your head bowed, let me ask you right now, how is God calling you to trust him today? How is God calling you to trust him today? And I think for a room this big, it's going to be different probably for almost every one of us. What is God calling you to trust him today? As scary as it sounds, to trust the lean, bring that to him, simply. Bring that to him. Say, God, every fiber of my being wants to make this right on my own strength, but perhaps you're trying to free me from that and actually bring me the freedom of knowing you can do this much better than I can. Heavenly Father, we stand right now before your presence for a moment, sitting in this. And and Lord, sometimes I fear messages like this can just be so trite. God is big, he's strong, he takes care of it all. But Lord, we're not minimizing real pain and real fear some of us go through right now. For some of us, it's crippling, Lord. But God, and I can only say this, Lord, with a trust in your grace and your kindness, Lord, even the worst things in our life, Lord, you can even use that. So I pray for some of us, the things that bring us our greatest fear, we surrender that to you right now, Lord. God, give us the strength to trust that you are good that if you've taken these Israelites through all this stuff, Lord, how then will you not also take us through the stuff we're going through? Just as you were with Joshua, Lord, you're reminding us because of Jesus, you are also with us in the same way. Just as you were with Moses, just as you were with Joshua, just as you were with David, just as you were with the Apostle John, just as you were with Paul, just as you were with Mary, just as you were with Ruth, Just as you are with all these people in the Bible, Lord, remind us that you are the same God who promises that you are with us right now in the midst of our deepest, hardest darkness. And Lord, replace our fear with faith. Help us, God. Help us, oh great God. Help us, Lord, to trust in you, even when it doesn't fully make sense. So I want to invite you to keep praying, but you can also sing during this time if it's appropriate for you. If you're a Christian, I want to invite you to come up and receive the communion at the table. Come up, take a piece of this wafer and be reminded why we can say any of this with any kind of authority. It's because of what Jesus has done. He's gone through the greatest fear that anyone experienced. His body was broken and dip into the cup. Be reminded of his shed blood that forgives of our sins. And I want to say this for some of us. If you're not a Christian, the greatest thing you can do today is not live in the fear that your eternity is not in God's hands. Trust him with your life right now, but with your whole life. And some of you, maybe your thing, you you don't need to be saved from addictions. You don't need to be saved from all these things that you traditionally think, quote unquote, bad people do. But what you need to confess to God is you're in control of your life. And it's frightening to be in control of your life. It is absolutely frightening to try to dictate your life. Trust God with it, because he'll do a much better job than you can. Trust him with your soul.